Has anyone thought about an intro for this episode? One of us could pretend to be home invaded by the other three. Hey, Bug, how was your day at school? We don't have school anymore. Uh, well, you did your online stuff, right? Barely. Okay. Uh, what are you up to tonight? I don't know. These guys want to do the podcast, but I don't know if I feel like it. Hello, can I help you? Is Coven home? Coven? No, I don't know Coven. Sorry, we're in the middle of dinner. Who was that? I don't know. I thought when we moved, we wouldn't have to deal with Jehovah's Witnesses banging on the door anymore. Oh my God. I'm sorry, I'm dealing with this podcast text thread. These guys are really ruining my life. What is it you want? Is, is Coven home? Has Coven checked on the podcast? I've had enough of this. Don't make us call the cops. Mama, what's happening? I really don't know, babe. Oh my God, these guys will not leave me alone about this podcast. All right, I, I got this one. Okay. Hey, your buddy. You better get out of there. The podcast is coming from inside the house. Oh my god! Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I am the human Trentipede. I have got Coven, Grave, and Cut on the line. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. How's it going? Great. Great. Quarantine. Very good. Episode day is a good day. (laughs) Has everybody locked all their doors and windows? Do not not come to my house. (laughs) Has everyone checked the children? Unfortunately, yes. I know where mine is at all times. I have no idea where mine is. <laughs> Kat, have you checked the children? You got two, I know. Uh, yeah, they're killing it. Uh, okay. Not murdered. All right. Well, that's good because this week we're talking about home invasion. Uh, home invasion is a cornerstone of the evil film world where the safest place you know is under attack. Um, and everybody chose a home invasion movie this week. Kevin, where'd you take us? So I took us back to uh, the late 90s uh, for a, a home invasion movie called Funny Games. by one of your favorite directors, Trent, Michael Haneke. Um, This is a movie that was done in 1996, and then he actually redid it in 2007. So the 96 is an Austrian film and is a very basic um, home invasion film. It is a couple going to their vacation home to, you know, just have a nice chill week or weekend, whatever they're doing. Um, These two boys show up at their door Um, And basically just wreak havoc with no explanation for the next couple hours. Uh, Haneke actually redid the film in 2007 in English with all American actors. 
um, in an, a literal shot-for-shot shot, uh, remake to the point where all of the dialogue is the same, the same house is used. He dug up the same props from nine years earlier. Um, but this, this to me, I, I think, Dave, I, I watched this, I think, because of you. I was living with Tony at the time, and he came home, and he said that I think you had turned him on to this, this German flick, uh, Funny Games. So I went down to what we've talked about many times before, our old local video store, Videoport, and went up and asked them, do you have a copy of this movie, Funny Games? And they were like, yes, we do. Um, I took it home and watched it. I felt uh, terrible after um, and probably had never watched it since other, other than the remake. Um, but I, I thought that this one, it held up uh, over the test of time. Um, and I can't wait to hear what you guys think about it. Uh, I had seen I had seen the remake back in the day when I was trying to be an edgy teen, and <laughs> it definitely um, it definitely fucked me up a little bit. I think after I've watched all these movies now, like all these horror movies that we've watched in the past couple months, not as much, you know, as like a martyr situation might. Um, but at the time, I was like, this is like this is pure evil. Like you know, these two these two dudes coming in and absolutely terrorizing this family. Um, so I had never seen the original. I gave that a watch. Um, I, I, there's something I appreciate about a shot for shot remake. I think it's, I guess it could be a little hard to pull off, but I think it was very well executed in this, in this instance. Um, part of me thinks that I prefer the newer one but only because I love Michael Pitt so, so very much. I'm a, I'm a Pitt gal. Um, but yeah, just like the, the cold open with like the heavy metal. That's just like setting you up for like the terror that you're going to feel for this family for the rest of the movie i think really sets sets the tone and i think it shows that it, you're you're in for a lot of fun yeah the, the title sequence is one of my favorite title sequences of all time yeah same just, it just totally drowns out everything with the death metal mm-hmm. it's actually uh especially john zorn i believe naked yes. city yeah but yeah, that's that's a that's a great scene. Uh, it's this movie's. I think it's one of the scariest movies of all time. The home invasion stuff. Um, you know, I always in, am drawn toward the realistic, scary stuff. And um, if someone had asked me like what my biggest fear was, um, I don't think I ever would have said like, "Oh, golfers. <laughs> Gol- golfers are gonna get me." Um, you know, but this this movie uh, raises those feelings like, oh, my God, these yuppie golfers that are just fucking bored and they're a bunch of sh- shitty brats. And you don't you don't actually ever learn if they're uh, they're rich or poor or they just look like yuppies, <laughs> but they like knew their way around a boat and stuff. So I kind of figured they were like some some rich kid golfers. They're like the crust punks that are in Portland that act like they're like homeless, but they really have like rich parents back home. It would be the reverse of that, though. Yeah, the, but 
No, but it could. They're like murdering people. But they're but, they're presented as upscale. Cool. They they show up in like tennis outfits talking about brands of golf clubs and sailing and stuff like that. I'm just they're, saying poor little rich kids. Wah, 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 you know? Right. That's true. Affluence. This is on right now on the uh, Criterion streaming service, and there is also a bunch of bonus stuff on there. There is an interview with Haneke, and there is interviews with um, uh, other other people. There's an interview with uh, Arno um, Arno Frisch, who plays Paul, one of the two kids. But one of the things that that Haneke talks about is um, subverting the uh, the sort of general idea of a lot of home invasion that is sort of class stuff you have the middle upper class comfortable family invaded by someone from another class uh or ethnicity or whatever it may be but in this case he he purposefully wanted to make it so that these were people from their same class. They knew the golf clubs that they used. They, you know, were from that same life. Um, and he thought that it was scarier and says that, you know, Americans do these easy social clash type home invasion movies. But this is just could be anyone's kids that you might actually meet at the cookout. And there's no reason for them to do this. And that's kind of one. I think one of the one of the things about this movie is there is no motive apparent. They're just bad because they like being bad because it's fun. And that's like the scariest thing. You can't. You know, it's not like they're they're trying to accomplish anything. They're just having fun. They're evil. And, you know, and, and there isn't really an answer. Yeah, I mean, Haneke was basically just saying, fuck you to America in this movie. He was basically saying, you guys love gratuitous violence and you're so desensitized by it. Like, let me give you the least fulfilling movie that you could ever imagine. And I will give you none of the usual catharsis that you ever get from your violent movies. In fact, also there's yeah. Also, there's no violence on the screen in the entire movie. Yes, it's all off screen. Exactly, and and the reason he gave for making the 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 remake is because he felt that the foreign version did not get enough traction in America. So he was basically saying, right. "Okay, you dipshits, you don't get it. Let me make it with a bunch of actors and actresses that you might recognize, and maybe you'll pay more attention." Um, I think one of the biggest fuck you moments to an audience I've ever seen in a movie uh is the tv remote scene that one oh, completely man. blew me away it, it in that both is the versions greatest fourth it holds wall up. break it, oh it's, my God. it's unbelievable um i think one of the biggest fuck you moments to an audience i've ever seen <laughs> ah! oh shit i shot him in the dick you shot me in the dick oh, oh my god Because it's like the director wants you to know that he has control of you. He has control of you. He does a lot of things in this, especially that, that I wouldn't really accept under normal circumstances. But uh, the guy who who played, uh, is his name Paul? Yeah, there's Paul a lead. With yeah, the shorts? The yeah, with the shorts <laughs> and the skinny legs. Uh, he was... Uh, so convincing in this, especially in those fourth wall moments. Mm-hmm. I, I think that he really sold it. And I don't really remember the remake, uh, and I didn't watch it again because um, 
I've heard there's at least no no reason to. I've seen it once, but and I did like it, but I didn't I didn't think you know the remake. I, I watched it again. I'd seen it before, but um, watching the remake of this, sure it's shot for shot. It's the same filmmaker, same writer and director, but the remake felt like if you took a classic rock album or something like Appetite for Destruction. And 10 years later, you got Mike Klink, the producer, and uh, the same guys who mixed it. And they just got another band of excellent players and they played the, and they remade the whole album and everyone played the exact same notes. It's note for note, shot for shot. Is that going to be as good? No, it's definitely not. And that's what um, I thought about the remake of this. I, I think it's a, a disservice to the original, personally. But that fourth wall thing, to me, is the most important part of this because it's like a second or third movie going on where you're the lead. You know, the viewer is like the lead actor in this version of the couple different movies that are happening, and they're always looking back to you yeah, almost maybe you're the director. Um, but at the same time, it's like the best home invasion thriller. Like it's it's kind of sending up the genre, but it's also like better than any of the movies it's sending up at what mm-hmm. they try to do. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a great, a lot of great quotes that I found from Henneke. And I, did, I didn't watch the extras on Criterion Trent. Maybe some of these are on here, but... Um, you know, he's he's on record as saying that he despised natural born killers. Um, and people have asked him outright, did this drive him to do funny games? He's never confirmed that. Um, but there's a great uh, interview that he did where he basically says, there's something wrong with you if you make it through this movie. Uh, and he questions <laughs> someone who yeah. says they cried. So someone actually said they cried. Um and he says, well, why, why did you stay till the whole why end? Why would you watch it? <laughs> and and his, his, his whole quote was, anyone who leaves the cinema doesn't need the film. And anybody who stays does. Uh, it's like me watching the movies every week, just crying on my couch. I, th- I fear that we're desensitizing <laughs> you, though, Kat. <laughs> it's for the best, you know. I need something. I need an outlet. Um <laughs> Yeah, I th- I think it's so funny that you meant I literally did not notice at all that you don't see any of the violence. None. Like, I just in my brain I assume that I saw you know. Yeah, the most violent shit ever. Shot. Yeah, but yeah, thinking it was back, all done in like a, a recording studio. Probably they probably um, weren't weren't even in the other room. It was probably <laughs> just done all after. It's probably true. They're yeah. probably yeah. in a recording studio banging pots and pans and. Oh yeah, there's uh, there's there's one of the in some of the bonus content on Criterion of this, um, Haneke talks about thinking that when you, and he did hate. I think I think he's on record as as talking about Natural Born Killers and Pulp Fiction too, and he talks about um, the difference between showing violence on film and also showing suffering of victims of violence on film, and he talks about there's a very long wide one-shot take in the movie after a tragedy has happened and um, George and Anna, the couple, are trying to pick themselves back up. And he does the whole thing. He shoots the whole room in one take. And he's talking about um, thinking that if you focus up close on the victim of violence, on the suffering and the violence itself, then you're commodifying it and you're making it a pornography. And that's exactly what um, he was trying to 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 
make a statement about so he wasn't about to do that himself in the movie so you never get those those violent scenes you never get those close-ups and it's almost more effective that way really makes for i think that's one of the things that makes it so disturbing is that you're removed from it in a way that you can't just you don't get that that pornographic satisfaction Mm -hmm. this movie and uh haneke's other movie time of the wolf during both movies, there was a point where I thought my internet was out because everyone was just completely still on the screen, yeah, yeah, like not yeah, moving. Yeah. Like same, yeah, their face yeah. in their hands, and uh, I was like, "Is this yeah. paused? What's going on? Is this yeah. buffering?" Like, nope, he just lingers there. If that TV wasn't on, I was like, I thought, like, I was like, did is this just a still shot that they've weirdly put into the middle of this movie? But like you was, see like yeah. the TV flickering and you're that like, was oh, car no, still, it's still going. <laughs> that was so yeah. effective. Like that was mm-hmm. I remember you Kat talking about uh one cut of the dead when the girl was just screaming at the beginning and you were like, <laughs> I cannot take this. For some reason, like the volume that he has the TV at in this and how long it goes on, I was like, it was the one of the most unnerving unnerving parts of the movie. Um and, and before what you're talking about, Trent. Um, cause what you're talking about is he literally does a 10 minute straight shot. Um, yeah. but I yeah. think one of the toughest scenes in the movie is prior to the tragedy you're talking about. Paul goes to the kitchen to just casually get some food and <laughs> yeah. you hear everything. That's when it he's happens. literally opening the fridge. He's asking people, can I get you anything? Yeah. And he's checking out cold cuts. Then you hear the bang. And then yeah. it comes back into the living room. That, to me, was one of the most unsettling things. And uh, then the fucking TV. So cool. But also, one of the most important scenes in this movie, and one of my favorite scenes I've seen in a long time, and I just uh, watched Cape Fear. And this scene oh. reminded me of it, um, was the egg scene. When Peter shows up, and all he wants to do is borrow some eggs. That scene is so long and uncomfortable. Like... I, I wanted oh, to stop the movie right there. And, and, and granted, yeah. I knew where things were going. Um, mm-hmm. But just as like a pure setup to some bad shit's about to go down, to have this like – and they're also fucking polite throughout the movie. Yeah. Regardless of uh, how bad things get, they're uh, also polite. And he's really just like, c- c- you know, could I have some eggs? And she's like, well, yeah, of course. Um, mm-hmm. it, I don't it's know. So I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to give too much away, but that yeah. that scene seems so innocent. But it is it really st- I like I feel gross right now just talking about yeah. it. Yeah, it's it's a very uncomfortable yeah. scene for no reason that you you just can feel the menace and like the mm-hmm. uh, it's crazy. Part well, of the, that- the agony of this movie is that uh, you want him the husband to react, you want the wife to mm. react, you want someone to like swing. You get that one bitch slap in the beginning, and then that is it. And it's just so frustrating to watch. Like, don't come for me. I'm going to – don't have a surprise birthday. Don't pop in and see me because I'm going for, like, kill them first before they can kill me. Because people always wait too long. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, can I borrow some eggs? That's enough for me to kill you. Yeah, you're out. Yeah, there's a thing about – Dave, I'm going to come by tonight. Do you have any eggs? What's eggs mean? The fuck kind of code is this? Killing. Sex, sexy stuff. Uh, that's I think that's the thing about the these these movies, like the home invasion movies, is you know you put yourself, or at least I do, I put myself in these people's like shoes, and I'm like, okay, well, I just would have been like super polite like the whole time, you know, I would have been like, oh no, take on, you know, take the whole carton, like I would have been so nice, but then it's like, no, because 
these guys were probably, it doesn't matter like how nice you are, you know, it's like thinking of like, you know, victims in real life, like, you know, like kidnapping things. It's like, well, if you just do whatever they say the whole time, you'll be fine. That's right. That's right. But in this, but in this instance, you know, there's, there's obviously no way to tell, you know, if they would have just moved on to the well, next had- house had she given him the whole dozen of eggs you know, but well, no, they killed everybody in the they neighborhood. They already killed yeah. the neighbors, and they had been. But that's yeah. But that's they had like been the victim mentality. As, uh, come you know on, come I mean? on. We've, like, we've yes. been doing so well at not giving anything away. I know. I'm just saying. You know, uh, it's like that victim mentality, just being like, "Well, they should have just done everything that they asked of them." But it's like, no, that's not how it works when you're dealing with psychopaths. Well, Kill. they are. They are introduced to them early in the movie. No spoiler. They're introduced mm-hmm. to them as friends of someone that they know. So they're not total strangers. And I, I, it's like there's it, it does play with that like paralysis. You know, when you're watching a movie, it's a little bit different than when you're in real life. There is there is sort of a paralysis in these situations where you don't want to make them worse and you want to be polite and you don't want to be rude. I mean, I talked about eating a whole dinner and drinking food that I uh, drinking uh, Kool-Aid that I thought was probably poisoned or at the very least dosed against my better judgment. Really, just because I didn't want to make waves. I could be dead right now. If it were up to my reaction in a real-life situation, I was mm-hmm. my reaction was to be polite and eat the poisoned food. I think, I think the reaction you're talking about is another huge fuck you that Henneke gives, um, that he's trying to give to the American audience because um, the, the dad in both versions of this movie is such a wimp. And I think what we're used to in seeing as, you know, American consumers is at some point, you know, we're used to seeing like Sylvester Stallone's the dad, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Commando, he's going to get you. And in this, Henneke just makes the father a completely useless protector for his family. But I think the reality of the situation is that's probably going to be the case most of the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not Arnold Schwarzenegger. Someone comes in here right now and starts messing around. I mean, I, I don't know what I would do. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a total emasculation. That's part of the. I think that's definitely part of the dynamic. There's a family dynamic going on too, and the dynamic between George and Anna, the couple, uh, where he is powerless and emasculated, and that runs through. I think a lot of like disturbing. A lot of the disturbing foreign movies, especially the European movies that we talk about. There's another one we're going to talk about called Get In that, uh, that plays with that kind of uh, male breadwinner emasculation a lot. And I think just you know one last thing we've talked about sort of you know the the lack of violence uh, on screen in the movie. A lot of reviewers, uh, particularly American reviewers, hated this movie, and some of them even called it like Haneke is attempting to do art house, but it's just more torture porn. Um, there was one one reviewer, uh, Alonzo Duraldo, writing for Today. Uh, his opening to the article was attention moviegoers. Watching too many violent American movies has injured you to the pain and suffering of real life. There, I've just spared you having to sit through nearly two hours of Michael <laughs> Haneke's hectoring funny games. I mean, the, Haneke's point did not come across. I think we get it. Um, I, I don't think the majority did. It's one of the all-time greats for me. It's in my very, very top scariest movies of all time.
Kat, what did you select for us this week? This week, I went with the should have been Academy Award winning film, <laughs> When a Stranger Calls from 1979, directed by Fred Walton. Wow, what a garbage film. Shouldn't have picked this one. <laughs> I know. Why did you? Oh, yeah, I know why. So when I when I heard we're doing Home Invasion, I had, you know, my brain goes to the, you know, the calls coming from inside the house. I'm like, okay, that's the epitome of like a home invasion. And I had seen the remake, I don't know what year, early 2000s, I want to say like 2006. Yeah. Um, I'd seen the remake with Camilla Bell. What a babe. Um, mm, mm, and... Mm. I thought I saw it in theaters, you know, like probably at like a ooh, teens going out to the movies, boo boo boo, like kind of fun night out. And I thought it was, you know, it was scary enough for like a teenager. I thought it was like fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. And so I, I like thought that. I thought it might be a, a, a good idea to <laughs> make us all watch the original. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. Um, trash film. I don't even know. Uh, like, can I spoil it by talking well, about how bad yeah. it is? Well, you mean, know, the calls coming from in the, inside the house goes back to Black Christmas. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah, is but... 1974, which is the main reason I didn't like this, because it was a blatant... I mean, not blatant. It was a different kind of setup, but the whole mm-hmm. scare tactic with the phone and all that, uh, I know it's been done a million times, but to be done so closely... Yeah. I should have picked Black Christmas, but it was... Uh, yeah. a The entire... I don't understand how you could make a remake off of only 20 minutes of a, of a yeah, film. Cause like, that's the only good 20 minutes. It is. The whole middle section is so bad. So bad. Fat cop running around. Hey, trying whoa, to catch whoa, crazy guy. Whoa, whoa. Charles Dunning is like, uh, a slightly more distinguished boss hog. <laughs> <laughs> And I looked all over the internet, and I was like, "Is this the guy? This this guy play Boss Hog, or did he in in some version of it or somewhere? What I what oh do I think? God. I realized it was his role in uh, Charles Dunning is in Oh Brother Where Art Thou? He's in everything. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's like the linen suit, like politician shithead. Of course, I was trying to place it, and I didn't even look him up because I was just so pissed by the end of this fucking movie that I was like, uh, I think I'm you guys on. are you guys are being a, a little hard. I mean. Definitely when I was watching it, I hadn't seen it before. Maybe I saw it on cable TV, and it has a very made-for-TV feel to it. But I was mm-hmm. thinking, like, Kat is out of her mind. Why would she tell me to watch this? But now I feel like <laughs> you guys are being a, a little harsh. And secondly, Charles Dude. Dunning has 300 film credits to his name. If you look up any movie, Charles uh, or Durning, I'm sorry. Charles Durning was in that movie, whatever it is. Uh, in this movie, he is the most unlikely lead detective in any movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, get phobic with it, but I'm saying he's, he's not in good shape. Okay, calm down. He's yeah, not- he's not. <laughs> <laughs> he could have used. It made no sense. He could have used, you know, maybe he should have gotten like a moped to ride around on. He was carrying, he was carrying a full on beach ball underneath the polo. <laughs> How many years yeah. did this span, too? It's like he's like living seven on the streets. Se- seven, seven years. Seven years. Uh, so look, so this oh, movie... ridiculous. This movie, Fred Walton did a short film called The Sitter, which was mm-hmm. the intro of the movie you saw. All right. The first yes. 20 minutes is iconic. It inspired the beginning of Scream. 
um, Wes Craven was paying, you know, it's an homage to, to mm-hmm. the sitter. Uh, what happened, and I don't know if the sitter was done before Black Christmas or after. I can't answer that question right now. But what happened is when Halloween and some of these and, and, and Black Christmas, so I, I guess it was before um, Black Christmas, when they Ooh, when they got yeah. so popular, Fred Walton decided, you know what? We need to turn this into a feature film, not just this 20-minute short film. And I think what, 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 he was, what he was trying to do is he was like, okay, I need to do the Michael Myers thing. I need to have the guy break out of an asylum. Now he needs to have his Ahab, his Dr. Loomis. So that's going to be this fat cop. And then, mm. you know, I think, you know, we've talked about it before, you know, and Dave has talked about like you could almost make two movies out of like some of the movies that we watch. Like this one, the first 20 minutes and the last 20 minutes, pretty dope. The yeah, pretty good middle movie section. Right completely completely garbage um and then as far as the remake goes um i did a full kenny family viewing and that movie is absolute trash (laughs) i i could not find anything redeemable about the uh the remake of when a stranger calls when they take the the pretty brilliant intro to the to the 1979 uh original and they try to turn it into an hour and 38 minutes I thought it was great. I liked the remake a lot better than the uh, than the original. In the original, it was like they weren't even trying on some of the stuff. Like some of the sound effects, it sounded like it sounded like pool balls hitting together when people punched each other. <laughs> and then when they were walking out of the house, um, the body bags were just slung over their shoulders, like they, yeah, the kids. No stretchers. I know. Yeah, oh like, my god! Oh, gotta take them. That was brutal. Um, like they were taking out the trash. It also features the world's worst bartender. Like, you're just letting these pe- this one guy, like, beat the shit out of this, okay, granted, like, cre- guy who's been, like, a creep to this poor woman. But then he's like, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. He's like, shut up, bartender. And he's like, okay, you got it. Like, no, kick those people out. If that was my There's bar, a- they would have been, I would have really given them a, a wag of my finger, I tell you what. That, that bar fly <laughs> lady that, like, starts the fight and that he, he is into... She, when he comes to her place, it's so annoying because she has a peephole in the door. And she doesn't look. Who is it? Look out the fucking peephole. And like oh. no one on the camera crew or any like light guy, like, sound guy, no one said like, well, should we cover up the peephole or get a different door? Because I mean, that doesn't even work. This movie features Carol Kane, which we talk about how people get their their start in horror. Carol Kane mm-hmm. was already a very established actress. She, she was only like three years away f- or, or three years uh, after winning an Academy Award. So you get her somehow to agree to do the first 20 minutes of this movie. And then you leave her out of it for the next like yeah, 40 minutes. And then bring her back for the last 20. I mean, it's fucking Carol Kane. I mean, she was in <sighs> yeah. The Princess Bride. What did That's, she win? What did she win an Academy Award for? She won uh, an Academy Award for Hester Street in uh, 1975. Mm. Huh. I really liked uh, her uh, performance in the restaurant when she's on the floor of the restaurant talking on the phone <laughs> at the front desk. Please check on my children. Just show me the truth of it. Check on my children. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, I, I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> I wouldn't watch it again. What did, what, uh, did we, what did we watch this on? Oh, 
I think painkillers. <laughs> I wish. We cat I can tell you Kat watched it on Showtime Prime. She has the Showtime subscription on Prime. Oh, yeah. That's why Sorry, my, I my had to rent it. My parents have the Showtime subscription. Yeah, so it's on the Showtime Prime. Yeah. I had to rent it on Vudu. It's like three bucks for this fucking thing. Sorry guys. Um, so we do have I do have a little bit of a, a little bit of news for this movie. Because um, it actually, both uh, The Sitter and uh, When a Stranger Calls was based on an actual babysitter murder, if you guys want to uh, hear about it. Ooh. Yeah, hey. So in, in 1950, uh, 13-year-old Jeanette Christman was babysitting for the Romack family in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, they had a very isolated home um, that technically was 100 yards beyond the Columbia line. Um, Columbia, Missouri is now known as a huge uh, community for the University of Missouri, but at this time it only had a population of about 31,000. Leading up to her murder, a rash of sexual assaults around town. What was the, what was the rash? The rash? Yeah, you said there was a rash going around. A rash of sexual assaults. Oh, 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 They, they weren't, people weren't actually... I mean, not they like might have got. They a, might have rash, gotten some rashes rash. from the sexual assaults. Oh, I was uh, waiting for somebody uh, to say uh. that. I was like, I'm not going to do it. You sense of guns. Anyway, basically, in December, police arrested a 24 year old named Jake Bradford, who was a black man. After he was caught peeking in someone's window. Um, Mm -hmm. After 10 hours of interrogation, he confessed to the babysitter uh, and Sally Johnson attacks, which were some that had happened around town. Uh, No more attacks were reported. Um, So at 10.35 p.m. uh, on the night that we're talking about with Jeanette, uh, a policeman, Ray McCowan, answered a phone call where a girl was screaming. And all he could make out for her words were come quick and then the phone disconnected. So it's so late. It's 1950. Um, you literally had people staffed at connection centers for the phone company. Nobody was there to trace the call. So the Romax eventually got home around 1.30 a.m. to find Jeanette dead uh, in a pool of her blood next to the family's baby grand piano. Their son was still asleep in his bed. Um, she had been raped and strangled with a cord from an electrician or electric iron, rather, as well as being stabbed twice in the head with some sort of a circular object. Um, the, this story is worth looking up because I could go on. There are some obvious suspects. There are some not obvious suspects. Um, but basically, you know, look up Jeanette Chris, Chrisman. Um, the, the amount of information you can find, um, is amazing. You, you always, the Reddit thread makes you think you know who it is. Oh. And then you'll find another article where some, you know, a friend of Jeanette's comes forward, you know, 30 years later and says, well, but, um, so the whole thing was uh, kind of inspired by uh, by this uh, true crime. At, the, at toward the end, when the detective has um, cornered, or he thinks he's cornered the killer in the warehouse, and he does the whole thing where they're looking for the guy and they don't know where he is, but they think he's in here somewhere, and they do the thing where they go, uh, "It's all over now. Come on out," you know that. Um, mm-hmm. Whenever somebody says that in a movie, it's a lie. It's not over at all. <laughs> it's not even close to over. They're just trying to, like, trick the guy into thinking it's over. Like, he's going to be like, eh, well, I guess they got me. 
it's going to come out. Yeah. Um, but it never <laughs> works. It's never true. It's not over, and it's not over in this movie. Then there's yeah. a whole lot of scenes beyond that. One of these days it'll I, work. I would love to meet the person who made this movie and kill them. <laughs> I, I, would, I didn't think I would it like, was that bad. I would like to point out that Cat Cat handled picking the stinker of the week about one thousand times better than I have on several previous <laughs> occasions. So, Cat, thank you. Well, thank she you. did. She did the method of she called it out first. She did the. <laughs> The thing where you know you've picked a stinker, and so she said it before anyone else. She got in front of it. I don't. I think it's fair to single her out as the person who took it well because we all take it okay when we have stinkers. We've all had stinkers, Kevin. You're the only brat. <laughs> <laughs> you are the only brat to get hey, mad at us. Th- thank you guys. Yeah. No, thank you guys for letting this show help me grow. <laughs> film I picked this week was I See You 2019, uh, directed by Adam Randall and written by Matt Waldeck, who aren't really responsible for anything else noteworthy. No. <laughs> They've had a few uh, sh- short films and little gigs here and there. Um, I, I love getting duped in movies, and this movie is one of the movies that just constantly distracts you with one thing yes. while leading you down another path. And raising all these questions that eventually get answered. Uh, it stars Helen Hunt, uh, who looks like Caitlyn Jenner's avatar. <laughs> I see you. In this. <laughs> oh my god. Oh god. But this movie was not science fiction or supernatural. Um, and part of what I liked how they laid this out was there wasn't a lot of promo about this movie. I heard it. Uh, I heard about it from uh, Colin Christensen, who um, reviews movies. I wasn't sure what I was getting into. And uh, there's this uh, opening scene where a kid gets like, kind of like he levitates off his bike. Um, and there's Great scene. talk yeah. of a there's talk of a magic house in the woods that disappears. And there's all these little things like uh, the blanket that pulls off a, a person while they're sleeping uh, that kind of makes you think that there might be something supernatural going on. Yes. Um, which it easily could have been like a Stephen King, uh, The Outsider kind mm-hmm. of vibe. Um, but it didn't do that. It flipped the script like totally. Um, and we all talked about how there's there's not much to talk about. <laughs> With this movie because of the giveaways. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing about it is it, it plays... You, what you can say is you see the movie twice. Yes. Um, yes. Like three quarters of the movie you see twice from two different perspectives. Yes. Mm-hmm. So one perspective is kind of raising all these questions. And then when you see the other perspective, it's answering those questions. Yeah. And uh, to be clear, the title is ICU, not Intensive Care Unit. It's not like uh, it's not because when when I first heard about it, it's not a Law and Order spinoff. It's I C U, 
Um, it was actually theatrically released in 2019, just last year. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, I never would have heard of it, but Dave found it and started, he wouldn't stop harping on it. Dave, you harped on this for like <laughs> two weeks. You got to see it. You got to see it. So I know that when Dave is doing that, I need to see it. Um, it's on Amazon for free. If you're, if you're um, a member of prime, you can just dial this right up. And I, I loved this movie so much. I love discovering something that I never would have seen. That's mm-hmm. half of the reason that I'm personally doing this is, you know, we talk about a lot of stuff that we've always loved or, you know, movies that, um, influenced our consumption of other movies and things that meant a lot to us. But the real fun to me is like when you find something that you've never heard of that someone grabs you and is like, look, I'm not going to stop telling you you have to watch this movie until you watch <laughs> this movie. And this is one of those. I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. It is a masterpiece of misdirection. Like everything, like, like Dave said, it's hard to talk about. But you can say that like everything that goes on for the whole first half of the movie is all very carefully constructed misdirections and it plays with your expectations and it totally got me. I was wrong about like everything I thought was wrong and I I love that. Yeah, I mean Dave is not exactly the kind of person um, to just randomly reach out to you. as as he has, we, we talk every day. Dude. No, but <laughs> but but, but da- when when Dave comes across a movie that he thinks you need to see, um, he probably texted me, I don't know, fifty times. He was relentless you, about this. Yeah. He was relentless, um, <laughs> and that to me is it means I need to watch this fucking movie. Um, mm-hmm. So I love the fact. Not only that you harassed us into watching this like two weeks ago, but then you immediately picked it for one of our Speak All Evil episodes, and I got to watch it twice. Yeah, uh, with- well, I was surprised. I was surprised because I didn't expect much. You know, uh, when Helen Hunt got in there looking like her face was like the skin of a homemade drum or something, just <laughs> um, stretched across this leathery palette. Okay, look. Um, <laughs> Helen Hunt is is a natu- is a national treasure. Helen she Hunt does a started- great job of this. I, you know, I'm already. You guys are a little tough this week. I think on everyone. Well, she might have had too much work done. I think she just had too much plastic surgery. I think surgery. she just needs a nice, well defined brow, and she would be doing a lot better. That's all, that's all I'm gonna say. Kathleen Smith. She's she's fine in this, other than the fact that yes, Helen Hunt had some work done. It didn't go so well. Um, but look, the actual movie ICU, um, while it does have sort of like this TV movie grain to it, it literally packs everything you could ever imagine into ninety minutes. You're talking yes. like a supernatural vibe. You've got missing kids. You have infidelity. You have cops. Mm. You have the messed up survivors. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. a copycat. You have a cool mask, and you have more twists than you should ever be able to pack into so a 90-minute film. <laughs> and somehow it works. Um, and I will say um, that I-, I thought the writer was actually Devin Gray, Dave. I thought, um, I thought the credits that I saw were, was Devin Gray, who did um, – he was an actor. He actually – did you guys watch uh, Dexter? No. Um, I've seen it. So in all of the flashback scenes, Devin Gray played the teenage Dexter. Devin Gray actually starred in the movie 13 Sins, which was directed by Daniel Stom, who did The Last Exorcism. Oh. Boom. 
I, I loved this movie. I thought it was really good. But I will say, as soon as I saw that mask, all I could think of was Leslie Vernon. Right, because I talked about that, the, the frog. Yeah. Just like, and I literally like burst out laughing, but also it was so creepy. It was, I, it, it was I very think, creepy. I think this movie hit all the points for me because I'm a spooky bitch and I thought it was going to go in the supernatural way. And then it absolutely didn't. And I was just like alone watching this movie, hoping, like wishing that someone else was watching it with me. So we could just be like, what? Uh, together. Because I think it did it. I, I didn't think I was going to like it at first. But. Yeah, I almost I, turned I it did. off at first. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I don't really care about oh, someone's cheating on somebody. Who cares? Like, welcome it, to it the does world. Start, Do you know what I mean? It does start very pedestrian, like. Okay, you've got like this supernatural thing. You've got uh, 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 a husband and wife who clearly one has cheated on the other. You've got a teenage son who's angry, and now there's some weird shit going on in the house. Um, I thought it did. I thought it did those things very well. The the family yeah. tension right off the bat. You get the palpable uh, and painful family tension. You don't know what's happened right away. The um, the teenage son. Connor uh, was played by uh, Judah Lewis. I thought he did a great job. And his anger toward Jackie, played by Helen Hunt, you don't really know what's happening. And I think that was part of setting up the expectations and the misdirection Mm -hmm. is that the set Mm -hmm. of loyalties that the movie sort of, that you bring in, you know, you bring in your own expectations and your own interpretations. This movie just kind of starts and it doesn't really explain anything right away. So... You start building loyalties and expectations among the characters that all by the end of the movie, they've all been totally overturned. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and they do a nice job of, of starting with the, the family tension, your traditional, okay, this could be like any other movie, and there's a supernatural tinge. I think they do a very subtle job of, of adding in the, oh, there, there's a serial killer aspect to this too. Um, like, ooh, like how yeah, does that tie becomes, in? Yeah, it almost becomes, yeah, right. <clears throat> um, it's also but, found but footage. The, Found footage movie too. Yeah. Yeah. Part yeah. Of there it were so part, many. For a portion of it. Yes. Yeah. It just uh, hit all the nails for me personally. I I really liked this movie. Dave, I liked your pick. I know. I, so I actually happy. realized, like listening through a, a bunch of the episodes, that um, you like a lot of my picks. It's just yeah. The, just when we get into the disturbing fair, uh, I yeah. tend to go. <laughs> I take it a little too far. I think. That's yeah. why you get kind of you get Kevin with it. <laughs> So uh, w- one thing that um, this this movie had the infidelity You're aspect, it. it's good. and the next movie we're going to talk about also had an infidelity aspect, which is interesting in the home invasion. Everything that you find comforting, everything that makes you feel you know um, safe, is taken away from you. Yeah, I was, I, and I think this, I think this actually. Uh, follows the tradition of funny games and the next movie we're going to talk about get in and a lot of the movies that we talk about there's there's the whole scene where the the husband and wife are talking about why their marriage is on the rocks and one of the things that comes up is that his his insecurity and not being the breadwinner he's a cop he's a detective he you know he's he's not making a lot of money and she is the rich daughter she's a doctor 
a therapist, whatever. Um, and she comes from a rich family and there's something about like, I wanted to buy you the house, not your dad. They have this enormous McMansion, you know, right on the coast of Connecticut or wherever the hell this is on the water. And so there's that same kind of thing of like this frustrated guy who is supposed to be the breadwinner and uh, leader of his household who has been totally emasculated and set to the side and his wife has gone elsewhere. And uh, the only power he has is in his position as a detective, happens to be working this case. Things kind of start coming together. Again, we can't really spoil a lot of this movie, but that's a similar, the, the whole emasculated breadwinner runs through most of these movies. Um, also, speaking of emasculated, this movie um, features one man peeing on another man's penis. Which you don't see without giving True. away too much. True. One man pees on another yes, man's it penis does. in a certain scenario. There. And uh, yeah, that's a fresh new thing I haven't seen before. There is water I will, sports. I think that's called water sports. I will. I will say. Um, both this movie and the movie that we're about to talk about uh, get in um, for me personally were incredibly hard to research because they're they're super indie mm. yeah. uh, they're very brand yeah. new um, I obsessed over the record that kept getting played mysteriously in the oh, house oh yeah yeah it took me hours to figure it out really? Um, yes but I did um, the song that they keep playing on the record player uh, in the house, in the Harper house, uh, is called A Man at the Frontier by two writers, Mark Morvan and Ben Jerry. It's actually a 2009 song. Uh, and the lyrics that they, kept, that they keep uh, playing are, Have you ever heard the voice he's kept inside? An infinity of lambs you can't define. Where the fire burns in hell, he stands behind. Which is incredibly applicable, incredibly applicable to the movie. Um, I feel like that that must have something personal to the, the director or the writer or something because it's it's very topical. All right, train, you ready? I am ready. You ready? Yeah. You ready, son? You got this. You're gonna slay this. You ready? Okay, my selection for this week is uh, new on Netflix. It's called Get In. I know that sounds a little confusing because of Get Out. Mm. Uh, this is a, a French movie from last year that never got a theatrical release because of the global pandemic. And it's actually, it's originally is called Fury. But there is a Vietnamese movie from last year also called Fury. So I think that's one of the reasons that it appears on Netflix and I would say in other American markets, but it's not in any other um, other American markets. It's just on Netflix as Get In. And it's sort of uh, a twist um, on the concept of Get Out. So it does also make some sense there. But this is a French movie by another unknown, Olivia Abou. Olivier Abou is the director of this. Um, it is about a husband and wife and child, again, who come back from a long, months-long, multi-month vacation, and they can't get into their house because 
the people that they have uh, asked to watch their house while they are gone have decided that it's now their house. And things go way downhill from there. I absolutely loved this movie. This was uh, another discovery for me, actually. I was trying to decide what I wanted to talk about for Home Invasion. And Dave mentioned that this was on Netflix and it looked interesting. So I watched it right away and I was like, this is the one. A lot of similar stuff that we've talked about with some of these other movies. This is, to me, this one is pretty academic. Like there is so much stuff going on. I feel like you could like do a, a whole semester course on everything that's happening in this movie. But I recommend it highly. If you have Netflix, watch Get In. I did do uh, a full course on this movie, and I think we'll get into it as we discuss it. But uh, um, this, I think, I think three quarters of this movie is almost perfect. Um, I think maybe the last quarter, surprisingly, for what this movie pulled off for the first three quarters, the last quarter gets a little American, um, a little Blumhouse, um, and, and I'm not Fuck saying. You. I'm not saying that I... <laughs> fuck you. I'm not saying I didn't, I didn't like That's it. Fucked I'm, up, I'm just saying That's it, fucked it was up, surprised. Fuck you, it was That's fucked up. Um, what? But I love the fact that, uh, you know, we started this week talking about funny games and we end talking about Get In because it's literally the opposite. Funny Games is a family heading to vacation who has it completely right. fucking upended and then Get In ends with a family coming home from vacation and, and you know the feeling coming home from vacation or tour or a work trip or whatever. All you want to do is go home. You want to get in your bed. If you're the son, you just want to grab your favorite stuffed animal or your favorite toy. If you're mom and dad, you want to sleep in your own bed. And to come home and literally have the gate to your property be locked and your nanny that you trusted has now moved her husband in and on a technicality by law is saying you can't come home. It, it, it's it's terrifying in a whole way that I've never seen in a film before. I've never seen a mm. home invasion film that is the opposite of home invasion. Like right. you're trying to invade <laughs> yeah. your own home. Your own. So, right, get in. To, right. Yeah, to, to, to that end, this movie uh, win, wins me over um, just for the, the originality, but also um, just for how smart it is um, with a lot of the philosophers that they talk about. You know, you have... Um, Adama Niyane is Paul. He's the husband. He's a school teacher. Um, he drops some real subtle hints throughout the movie that if you if you kind of research those, um, it opens up a whole Pandora's box of of what I think Abu, the director, is trying to get at in this movie. Mm. Um, I did not care for this film. I think Fuck I'm probably you. the odd one out. <laughs> Dave, Dave is so aggressive tonight. <laughs> I'm just trying to talk in an even tone so I don't uh, distort my microphone. So I'm just going, "Fuck you." I like it. <laughs> it's soothing somehow to me. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> we'll support you in that exercise. <laughs> I went. It, I I like. I liked it at first. It, I think because in my mind I had an idea of what was going to happen. And then it just took some real weird turns. I didn't really understand what a lot of it had to do with certain stuff. I don't know. I'm feeling like you guys are probably going to be a lot more eloquent and have a lot of like interesting points about why you guys liked the film. But I just, 
I was just waiting for it to be over, and then the ending happened, and I was like, what the, f- what? I don't know. Did well, you, did you I have, don't... here's my, here's my thesis. Okay. The bird gets it. Motherfucking bird gets it. You see it, you see mm. how the bird gets it in this oh, one? Oh yeah, bird gets it. Oh. The bird? The bird gets fucking torched. Cat doesn't, oh, cat, I'm oh not. Oh my god, the bird! I forgot about that. Yeah, you guys have been claiming since early, early episodes oh. that, oh my god, yeah. it's so oh. sacred to kill the pet. That Everyone poor, kills a fucking pet. This is the millionth movie in a row that they've killed the pet. Yeah, that's because we're talking about deal. serious. Have, that's because we're talking about serious shit. That's why we have discredited ourselves <laughs> as saying like, "Oh, you got to be legit. If if you want to be legit, you got to kill right. the pet." And now and it's this like, is legit. Uh, I mean, we killing the pet. I will say, Land one of our of films that was the first pets. thing to go this week. So that was a pretty good way to start. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I I, I love get in. Um, yeah. I, I like that it's a different type of home invasion, and I started thinking. Um, right after I rewatched this last night and right after it, uh, I just put on green inferno and <laughs> I was like, wow. Uh, yeah. Casual, just casual, <laughs> you know, just throw something on. And, but I was thinking like green inferno is actually a home invasion movie. Yeah, that's you right. Know? And, 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 and like parasite is a yeah. take on home invasion. Yes. And then I started thinking is Texas chainsaw massacre. A home invasion. It sort no. of is. No, it's yeah, definitely it is. not. It's people are, people yeah, it are trespassing on that's right. your land, on your home, this is place Texas. where you feel safe. It doesn't matter if they're pretty girls and hippie dudes. That's like, right. They're on your property. They're yes. on your land, and they're yes. sniffing around for gas cans or whatever they want. They, they don't need to be there. But Yep. Yep. So... Um, but I'm, I'm, I was unclear on on a lot of French laws, so like the whole red tape nightmare in Get In um, mm-hmm. is is scary for me because it's believable mm. that um, that's not what I would think of if I was like traveling or anything, um, you know, getting caught up in in red tape, and and that's you know what a lot of I feel like unemployed people are dealing with right now is this blur of logistics that they have to get through for for basic survival yeah no that's that's a big part of the movie is trying to navigate um the bureaucratic world as an everyday person that doesn't necessarily have a lawyer or an expert at your disposal you know we've talked about how it's a a husband and wife and their son coming back to their home the nanny um and her husband have have taken over their house Technically, apparently, like Dave said, we don't understand French law, but apparently they signed their house over to this couple for a period of time and literally just can't get in. So they end up at this RV park and um, meet some unsavory characters, which is where kind of the movie unfolds. The roots of the movie are about the issues in the marriage. Exactly. Um, This this is another family picture. um, And I think... Maybe intentionally, uh, their son is underused in this entire thing, like almost sort of just implied. Um, and I think that's one of the more more powerful things. And you talk, Trent, about how a lot of these movies talk about an emasculated male uh, lead. Uh, this, I mean, this is um, the, the most of all. The most of all. Um, so to, to kind of get into like the, the whole law thing, um, Paul, the, the husband, is a teacher. 
And if you notice in the very first uh, scene where they show him back in the classroom after vacation, he immediately yep. references uh, the philosopher John Locke. And, and one of John Locke's uh, biggest, um, uh, biggest writings was on life, liberty, and property. So the property law. So basically what Locke is saying is life, everyone is entitled to live. Liberty, everyone is entitled to do anything they want so long as it doesn't conflict with the first right, which is life. And then basically with property, you can own whatever you want or come across as long as it does not affect the first two, life and liberty. Um, and, and I think that is what sort of the, the screenwriter was, was, was coming at with this entire film. Um, well, and, and then, but, but then how does that end? It ends with uh, an... an uh, immigrant student of his calling him an Oreo because oh, God. Although, that, that, that was a Paul fucking is, hell of a quote. Paul is, is a, yeah, because uh, Paul is a person of color, but he is a, he's a friend. He's a, a native of France. He's, he's actually not an immigrant. So that kind of demonstrates right away. He's caught in this world of between where he doesn't really belong anywhere. And, and to me, the, the whole movie is about his struggle. He's, you know, it, it, like you said, Kevin, it starts at home. It starts with his marriage. His marriage has fallen apart. He's sort of in this place of paralysis. Um, he doesn't know what to do about it. Now his house has been taken away, right? His home is, is no longer his. He can't, there's nothing he can do about that. Now he's even questioning what his ethnic um, place is in his own society. He's worked so hard to be a successful professor, to have uh, a successful family, marriage. He's got this nice house. Now that's all under threat. He's being uh, he's being called an Oreo by his uh, immigrant students, and he's um, having racism perpetrated against him by other. Uh, white people in France. So he's kind of, he's neither here nor there. And then he ends up running with this, um, this red pill crowd of, 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 of French white ruffians yeah. who, who have, they, they get their kicks beating up um, immigrants of color. And now like mm. they're trying to red pill him on being a man and all of this. I mean, there's so much going on. It's really uh, pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. Can, can we go to clubbing in France? Because every time I see a club in France, it's wild. The club scenes are amazing. I went to a club in Italy one time. It was very weird. Uh, Very weird. My my favorite character in this was Mickey. Oh, my God. Oh, man. (laughs) Mickey Uh, is something. No. Yeah, he's drinking beers in a hot tub in a thunderstorm. (laughs) Right? I'm like, get out of the tub. What are you doing? So what I, what I will say is I st- I still I still question the the final act. Um, I do still totally think nuts. it gets a, a little too. It's nuts, um, and and like I said, I I dig it, but I I feel like for a movie that had so much to say for so long that it just flipped mm-hmm. the switch and went a little like purgy, a little like Americany. Um, yeah. But I will also say that this is the first time I have seen vacuum sealing. Uh, oh, in yeah. one of our horror movies. <sighs> yes. All right, yes. that part got yeah. me. I just, yeah, the ending, I, th- I just didn't understand. I just feel like there were so many other ways they could have gone with it, and I feel like that wasn't, like, 
what I wanted, but that's not what horror movies are about. It's yeah, not like we, what I want. We might want. not be talking about it here if uh, it wasn't the way it was because yeah. I, I didn't consider it a horror movie until that final ripcord was pulled at the end. That's and a good point. It's just yeah. out of control. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to tell the guys about this. This is a horror movie. But before <laughs> that, I was just like, oh, this is this really riveting drama that I'm watching. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, for me, I, I almost could have forgiven it. Um, like, if not for the whole, oh, so-and-so's not dead yet. Oh, mm. so-and-so's not, like, it's almost mm-hmm. like, look, dude, like, this isn't fucking Friday the 13th. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I don't want I, – I, I, I am still fully endorsing this movie. I do 100% think it's worth a watch um, mm-hmm. and definitely worth a watch like with kind of the stuff that we're talking about in mind. You know, not getting misdirected from the, the family element of it, not getting misdirected from the points that, that Paul – Paul's dialogue in this movie and even just his body language and facial expressions are – incredibly important to i think what the entire point of this movie is the depths that they take the downward spiral uh, in this are crazy uh pretty much all the characters maybe besides for the the son um everyone just goes crazy <laughs> by the end of it i mean paul yeah paul is a man in paralysis for almost the entire movie and it's really not I mean he has to be driven every time every time he's driven to do something he just runs up against another wall and and that's true in getting his house back and true in getting his uh, marriage back and even even like at school when he can't break up the fight he's so paralyzed there are students fighting uh, at a school in one scene and he just stands there he's just totally frozen he's lost mm-hmm. any agency uh, over his own life, and one of the scenes that um, that stuck out to me too was when they there's a scene where after they can't get back into their house, this couple and, and their son they have to find the campground, and that's where you find Mickey. I thought it was Mikey. Um, oh. It's all French, so <clears throat> or Greek to me. Um, but th- um, this guy who owns the campground or who runs it is, knows um, Paul's wife. And there's a lot of tension, and Paul and, and Chloe, his wife, talk about it, uh, about how she knows this guy who runs the campground. And I don't know why it is that, like, in every relationship, certainly that I've ever been in, and almost every relationship that I've ever been near and, and uh, observed, there's always a scene where... That you meet someone, whether it's a friend of the – whoever it's a friend of, one of the partners, and then the other partner has to clarify like, did you fuck him? <laughs> oh, oh, you fucked her? Did she fuck you? Did you fuck her? Like there's always – this is a conversation you have your whole life every time. Did you fuck me? Yeah, I, I mean, me. seriously, this is like a thing you have to establish. All right, whenever a couple is is a, with a single person that knows one of them, then the other person has to establish whether or not this person had sex with them or not. Uh, and this movie does that really well. And of course, she lies about it because it's not important. Uh, but then maybe it is a little bit important. And you know, it's story of life right mm-hmm. there. I liked how um, the <clears throat> the wife um, fights off peril at the end. I mean, there's there's crazy peril. There's vacuum sealers. There's blood. <laughs> there's fire. Pig it's masks. crazy. 
Uh, she does the whole thing with mm. her, her titties out. <laughs> her boobs are out the, the whole like last finale. And it's some, beautiful. It's not something you usually see. She's pretty, way, she'd be very vulnerable, you know? That's uh, yeah. Stephanie or Stephane Kayard who plays Chloe. Um, and mm. she it's is definitely not her name. She is gorgeous. Stephanie Kayard. <laughs> I think that's how you say it. Stephanie. Is the French accent back? Oh, oh wait, there was also there was um there was a vampire blowjob in this, just like Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes. That was the yeah, only scene was. I didn't understand. You guys got thrown the off what? by the end. I, I didn't get thrown off by the end at all. I thought it was a, a great finale, but when he's in the club and he's in the private room and he's yeah. getting a blowjob and then like she looks up and she has fangs? What the hell was that? I, I think that there was like a fever dream, like no, because everything had, had come to a, a head, if you will. Um, and I felt like it was, a, I felt like it was kind of a metaphor, like him getting his dick bitten off was like a metaphor for him being emasculated. Ah, yes. Oh, yes. Layers. You guys okay. thought way more into this because my note was boobs, vampires, weird. Um, come on. <laughs> Kevin, you researched philosophers. You did more work for this. You did more work for this movie than you ever did in school. Let's not, you know, don't give me that shit. I would encourage people to, to. I mean, definitely. There's a great article on iep.utm.edu on Locke. Um, but I, I would just, if you just look up his theories on property, it, it's clearly what this screenwriter was completely focused on um mm. and Locke, who was a philosopher from the 1600s um it's thought that a lot of his beliefs um made their way onto the uh, our own uh u.s declaration of independence mm. part of that um i Scary. will say it was definitely the weirdest credit scene ever oh yeah you like, mean the- why would you want to yeah. do that after all that yeah i was just very weird because that he's was like back. the cherry on top no that was that's what it's, that's what she wanted the whole see, time i don't get it i didn't get the film Kat, i don't want to get it okay it's called mickey get, had wisdom it's called get in it's called right. get in so what's the <laughs> last what's the last scene Spoiler. getting in but you know what if you get listen uh, <laughs> throughout the movie that's what it's about we just lost uh, the all guy, credibility the guy who's pretty much the tormentor at the end or whatever. Yeah. The guy I liked, Mickey. Yeah. My second time watching it through, I realized that every time he talks, even though he's an incredible meathead, all the advice he gives that guy is usually true. Like what he's saying about his wife, even though it's insulting to hear and it makes the guy enraged. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's, it's true. Right. You know, it's what his wife wants. It's what kind of man he needs to be if he's going to fix this marriage. And I actually thought he gave him pretty sound advice all through. Uh, just the vessel that it was is brought was this, uh, you know, vodka shot, raving, <laughs> shooting, uh, shooting pigs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they shoot <laughs> the poor. Piggies. They wait for the pigs to come for the bait, and they all just shoot them. With yeah, I think that's one of the. Guns. I think that's one of the paradoxes of the movie is that this guy is on one hand a very bad influence, doesn't necessarily uh, at a lot of points doesn't seem like he has Paul's best interests at heart yet. All the advice he gives him is pretty much exactly right as to where Paul is. And at the end, 
Um, they almost, again, I'm not going to give anything away, but I wouldn't say they part as enemies, strangely. Uh, (laughs) There's some ambiguity there. Um, But I think that that is one of the paradoxes and ambiguities of the movie um, is, you know, what what is right and what is wrong and and, uh, how much of each uh, does it take to find your way through this crazy kind of stuff that is not that different than what a lot of people go through. All right, next week's episode is Serial Killers. We're going to be watching The House That Jack Built, which you can watch on Showtime or rent anywhere. We're also going to be watching the movie Angst, which you can watch on Shudder. We're going to be watching the movie She-Wolf from 2013, which is free on Tubi. And then we're also going to end with the epic film Seven from 1995, the David Fincher classic, which is also on Showtime and rentable everywhere.